If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? It is technically still Christmas, but we can already feel it slipping away from us, Holy One. Even with the trees still up and lights still dotting the roof line, the mood has shifted. We are trying desperately to hang on, but we're not exactly sure how to do that. Perhaps if we read just a few more stories connected to the birth of Jesus, Christmas will settle into our souls, just as it did for Mary when she treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. Like the story about the Magi, the bearers of gifts, searching for the light of the world, the ones who would go home by another way in order to defy a power-mad king. What dogma are we willing to abandon for the sake of our children? Then there's the story about the Holy Family's flight to Egypt, seeking sanctuary in a faraway land, fleeing violence at home. What does it mean for the story of the one we call God with us to begin as an asylum-seeking child refugee? The answers to those questions must be what Howard Thurman meant in his poem, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. Help us hang on to these Christmas stories a while longer, Holy One, for there is much to do. We pray in the name of Jesus, our undocumented teacher and Lord. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 7 through 14. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give thanks and say, save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water, 
in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and and will keep him as a shepherd, a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give the priests their fill of fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my bounty, says the Lord. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. What a lovely text to read on this first Sunday of the new year. It is, of course, not the first Sunday of the church year. That happened back in November with the first Sunday of Advent. But we do keep time both ways. And given how much the whole world has anticipated, longed for, banked on, and cried out for the coming of 2021, it is nice that the lectionary gives us something so uplifting. These are words of hope and restoration, a message of joy and praise. Listen again. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they will not stumble. Did you hear the echo of Psalm 23 in there? The good shepherd leads me beside still waters and down the paths of righteousness. Psalm 23, the most comforting of psalms, which we reserve mostly for reading at funerals because it is a balm to our deepest pain. When we hear it reverberate in Jeremiah, it makes us wonder just how bad things were for the original audience that they would need such consolation. As Bible nerds, y'all know any responsible reading of the text means peeling back its layers like an onion. So we read this passage with two possible historical contexts. Dr. C.L. Crouch explains, the first and most typically cited is the late 7th century BCE, about a century after the people of the northern kingdom of Israel had been deported by the Assyrian Empire. In this context, the prophet Jeremiah is understood to be speaking to the remnant left behind, coaxing them toward reunification with their southern brethren in Jerusalem. The second and more likely background is the 6th century BCE, after the destruction of Judah by the Babylonian Empire. After years of warnings from Jeremiah and others, disaster had finally befallen the kingdom The city sacked, the temple destroyed, the king and his court deported or dead. The deportees who survived the journey to Babylonia were faced with a strange new life in a foreign country, their movements and actions subject to a foreign power whose orders were conveyed through authorities speaking a foreign language. Had we read the first 30 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, we would have heard just how terrible things had been. 
In fact, what we read is part of a slice in the book of Jeremiah that scholars call the little book of consolation because the rest of Jeremiah is full of judgment and woe. But there are three chapters in the very middle in which the clouds part and we can almost hear the angels singing. God invites the people to sing and dance. There is a vision of a never-ending feast and, well, the people shall be radiant with the goodness of the Lord. It seems that we, too, have made it to the little book of consolation part of the pandemic. Writer Timothy Egan notes that even as we mourn the dead, we cheer the first people to get a shot in the arm. I feel like healing is coming, said Sandra Lindsay, the Long Island nurse who had the distinction of becoming the first to be vaccinated on our shores after getting her coronavirus inoculation. Not only that, but we are less than three weeks away from Inauguration Day. And we are on the other side of the winter solstice. So every day the sun is with us a little longer. Also, uh, vaccinations have started. And in case you needed to hear it again, vaccinations have started. But as with the Israelites, it's not that we have simply turned the page to a new chapter. Dr. Jennifer Benjamin Brooks explains that when it comes to the story in the text, there's a catch. This is not a statement of facts. It is an oracle, a promise yet to be fulfilled, a description of things hoped for. Jeremiah is ever hopeful, and his message is delivered to a people sorely in need of hope. This glimmer of starlight is pretty important, though, for after the little book of consolation, we find that the text goes back to doom and gloom. In other words, while an invitation had been extended to joyfully anticipate restoration and wholeness, the people of Israel weren't out of the woods yet. We, too, aren't out of the woods yet. We know that the new presidential administration is not the end-all, be-all. We know that there is much to undo and much to do. We are painfully aware that things were not as rosy as we thought they were pre-2016. White progressive Christians have long needed to check that our allegiance is not to a party or to a person or to our unexamined whiteness, but to God's peace and justice. So there is never a time to assume or act like things are going just fine. We also know that we are entering a season which could be the most difficult time in the public health history of this nation, as Robert Redfield, the head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said during a US Chamber of Commerce event. Indeed, Oklahoma is averaging over 2,500 new cases per day. The White House Coronavirus Task Force currently ranks Oklahoma first out of all 50 states for the COVID-19 test positivity, and there's no mask mandate in sight. Imagine that. 
On top of the actual virus itself, Egan reminds us that the number of adults exhibiting symptoms of depression has tripled and alcohol consumption has risen. We are prisoners of our homes and our minds, Zoom fatigued, desperate for social contact. As a nation, we are diminished and exhausted and millions remain out of work. And we must figure out how to navigate the reality that 60% of Republican House members joined a court effort to negate the sovereign right of the people to elect their leaders. Vladimir Putin acknowledged Joe Biden's victory before Mitch McConnell did. No, we are not out of the woods. But here is when we go back to our sacred stories to see what faithfulness does with even a small sliver of hope. The text gives us a vision that I suggest we begin to think about literally. You'll remember from the reading, or maybe you can just slip to the text now and you'll see the breathtaking assurances of the text. No one is left behind See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. God does not abandon anyone. There is simply no reason a person isn't included, not for pre-existing conditions, not for limitations of the body, not for sickness of the soul, not because they can't keep up, not because they have a cough, not because they are just kids. God's restoration includes us all. Dr. Brooks notes that in light of the present culture's disregard or dismissal of those who are disabled, the blind and the lame, and of women as unworthy of attention or respect, this text is a message of empowerment. The underlying message that speaks to those in today's culture who are often forgotten, disregarded, marginalized, or dismissed is that regardless of your situation, God has a saving, affirming, uplifting word for you. The blessing of God is not a sign of worthiness, no matter what criteria is used. For God's compassion and justice extends to all and promise God's restorative justice to those who have been brought low by any and all circumstances of life. The promises of God delivered through the words of the prophet transcend time and place and gathers all people of every time and place into the ever-present grace of God which offers fullness of life to all. In a very real sense, we are all vulnerable to the human existence and experience. And there are situations of life for each of us that can bring us down and land us in places of death and destruction. But not only does God promise restoration, God promises abundant life. God's prosperity is not contingent on or evidenced by worldly wealth, as the common teaching on prosperity gospel expounds. One's riches are not necessarily evidence of God's favor. Indeed, God's favor is upon all people. God offers a reversal of misfortune that invites joyful celebration with shouts and singing. 
With God, there is abundance that dispels wants and feasting that denies hunger of body and spirit. And because we believe this to be true, the inclusivity of this text is instructive to us, both in this family of faith and in the wider community. In the upcoming difficult months, we must recommit to living in ways that result in more people making it to the other side of this, folks who are in the highest risk categories, those most vulnerable. To do so is to partner with God in making straight paths so that no one stumbles, for no one is disposable. No one has already lived long enough. No one is just too weak to make it. We are responsible for each other. Our creed, rooted in this scripture, is that all of us need all of us to make it. And in this work, right now, we must begin to think of how the church, and this congregation specifically, will make the transition back to in-person worship, something that won't likely happen until the fall at the rate things are going now, but still we anticipate it with joy. And in our anticipation, we must cling to the truth of the text that we should never, ever again exclude those who cannot make it to the building. Not just for worship, but fellowship and friendship, study and discipleship too. That may mean we have a laptop plugged into a TV in every Sunday school classroom and Wednesday evening book study so people can still join via Zoom. That may mean we modify our liturgy so that we can live stream worship. When the text says, bring them from the land of the north, a modern translation for us surely includes our many friends in Canada who regularly join us on Sundays. And the line, gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, must reference the beloveds who join us from the hinterlands of Texas, right? I would list all of the different states and countries people log in from, but the list is actually too long. We know, too, that the farthest parts of the earth can also include our own homes, even if they're within walking distance of the church. While it is lamentable that it took a pandemic to teach us all what it feels like to be unable, for whatever reason, to leave the house, we now know that we have adjustments to make. To do anything less would be to ignore the inclusivity of God. This Wednesday, we will officially end the season of Christmas and enter the time the church calls epiphany. The Greek meaning of an epiphany is a manifestation, an appearance. Theologian Richard Rohr writes, an epiphany is not an experience that we can create from within, but one that we can only be open to and receive from another. Epiphanies leave us totally out of control, and they always demand that we change. In some ways, we might feel like the entire last year has been an epiphany. 
It has certainly felt totally out of our control. But it's only an epiphany if we do something with what we've experienced. What a hopeful and challenging thing it is to have this prompt of inclusivity from Jeremiah. We have the vision. We know God's dream for our reality. So church, what's our next move? You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.